Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, the soccer-playing, soccer-loving, <laughs> soccer-saying Chris O'Toole. Chris. I'll accept that, sure, yes. You don't call it <laughs> soccer, though, do you? Oh, uh, sure. I don't have any, <laughs> I don't have any, uh, whatever. I, I'm not that guy. I'm just, I'm just, what about the, uh, the blizzards? What Are they still the doing good? The Toronto blizzards? <laughs> I don't know of that team. I don't even know if that's real. Is it real? That, that was the, that was, that was the pre, uh, M, uh, what is it? MLS? That's what they call it. Major league soccer. Yeah. So it's the pre TFC team you're saying? Yeah. It's a pre TFC team. I don't know. You got the, me, man. It was a team and there's actually like uh, a very sketchy oi band from Toronto uh, back in the day. It had the Blizzard fight song, the Blizzard's fight song. <laughs> it was like a hooligan song about uh, this team. Well, there and you go. Pretty ridiculous. Pretty ridiculous. Well, but anyway. You, well, you just schooled me. It must be so uh, whatever. So crucial. You you definitely let, – let's not talk about this band anymore, but I will tell you <laughs> off air with Dan. Sure. Because you definitely know this band. Yes. Uh, they, are, they are one of those bands that unfortunately people definitely remember. Uh, <laughs> but let's move on to much more positive things this week. Uh, and I guess this week's show, but Chris, this week, did you have any fun – concert music going experiences that you want to talk no, about? No, I, I was pretty, uh, I don't know. Cause last week, yeah, I, I had I talked about guitar with last week. No, nothing this week. Thankfully I had a relaxing kind of week sort of. I played uh Hamilton super crawl. That's right. Actually. I, yeah. I saw the photos. It looked good. It was fun. Yeah. It was a really fun show. And I got to hang out with uh, a good friend of mine, Mike Van Kooten, who uh, used to produce the wedge. With me and lives in Hamilton, so I got to hang out with him. Nice. And uh, he's having a baby, so congratulations, Mike. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, played that show. But then the next day, hopped on a plane, flew to Victoria, <laughs> and then hung out with DJ Spooky, a.k.a. Paul Miller. Nice, yeah. And, and Laura Jane Grace. Oh, cool. And friend of the show, friend of mine. Um, and, yeah, had a great time kind of giving a uh, – a brief, very brief. They cut me down a lot. Uh, history of punk. They were like 20 to 45 minutes. And then they were like, okay, so we've got you scheduled for about 15. And I think in the end, they gave me about 10. <laughs> so I didn't get very far into it, Chris. As you know, with me, I don't think I even left New York. <laughs> what I'm curious, the DJ spooky angle on this. What was the... He uh, he was there. We were all there just to talk about whatever we wanted to. It's part of this really cool festival called Thinklandia. Okay. And they brought me out and they're like, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about, like weed, wrestling, whatever. And I, of course, decided to go with the history of punk because I think that's my favorite thing to talk about. Like I love smoking the weed and I love watching the wrestling. <laughs> but, I certainly, but I definitely love talking about punk. Um but yeah, it was fun. It was and it was awesome, awesome to see Laura and hang out with Laura. But it was cool to meet, you know, DJ Spooky. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that you two would have very. Did you really get to chat with him at all, or no? <laughs> because he, yeah, a little bit. Like he, he kind of. Uh, we talked a lot about like you know politics and things like that. But then after, he kind of. Uh, I think he was uh, pretty taken aback that I was a fellow record collector in the way that I am. Like I don't think he realized that that's how 
deep I wanted to go with music and stuff. So once he found that out, he really wanted to talk about music and stuff. And yeah, it was, it was cool. It was like, you know, he produced black Elvis. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that actually. Yeah. Cause I know that record, but I didn't know he'd produce that one, but I just know. Yeah. I don't know if he did every track on it, but he was talking about being on tour with cool Keith. That's some amazing cool well, Keith stories. He said he wanted to come on this podcast. Dude, amazing. Too. Yeah. I, I really like, uh, certainly an era of his stuff. Uh, introducing is incredible. That record, not a punk really. <laughs> Record, but a uh, great record. Great record. Uh, yeah, DJ, record, if you will. Yeah, like I think that's the thing is he's like, he is, he is, well, like, I, you know, I think it is like that obsessive, like that's what this podcast is ultimately about is finding those people that are obsessive about, and this mainly punk, but music in general. And he's definitely a music obsessive. Like he could go and talk about music and yeah, it was awesome. Well, and arguably like that, cool. again, that cover of that record is like, people digging in a record store. No, that's, that's uh DJ shadow. Oh, what am I thinking of? Who am I thinking of? Oh, spooky. Yeah. I like spooky too, actually. Sorry. I mistook. Yeah. yeah, right. yeah. Wrong guy. That's uh yeah. But, but same era and same type of, and same type of uh, obsessive crate digging. Like he was telling me he's got like storage spaces wow. full of records. Like he's just like yeah, like I I'm he's like I can't go to record stores because it's a problem. I didn't. It's funny when you said the cool key thing. Now that makes sense because I was like I don't remember him produced, but I was thinking the wrong guy. Yeah, sorry. Spooky too. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 DJ Spooky also did stuff with Public Enemy. Uh, he was talking about he did stuff with Sonic Youth. Did like remixes for Sonic Youth back then, and like you know had 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 really really fun stories about like parties cool. and things like that that he was involved in throwing back in the day, but. And then, yeah, and it was awesome to see Laura again as well. And, you know, and there, I guess like she's got like an, in, an incredibly full fall, you know, like a book coming out and an album. Huh. So good, you know, hopefully, yeah, like, uh, you know, like it, it was, I could only imagine that much touring and stuff. So like you that. all just so, spoke. You weren't really performing, uh, if you will, like in the musical sense. No, nope. Wow. no, we all just spoke. And, and hung out, and uh, I did your favorite thing, smoke some incredible <laughs> cannabis, Chris. Um, uh, went in Rome. <laughs> and I didn't get a chance. Yeah, I went to a couple record stores, but did not find the first Neo 7-inch, unfortunately. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, if you would have found it, you wouldn't have been able to afford it anyway. Mm-hmm. Very true. Good point, Chris. I probably would have uh, tried to uh, sell Those days are over. Those days or, are over of the find, I think. Those days are over. No, I don't me. mean for you. Those I just mean in general. Me, I, think, I think the find is done. That kind of find, I think, is over. I think. Uh, uh no, no, there always are finds. <laughs> there always are finds. It's becoming harder. I admit that. I'm in a post discogs world, but there's always arrogance, and there's always <laughs> too much knowledge True. to be had. I think you you're know? just. The- um, but yeah, no, there's definitely, there are definitely. I I can off the top of my head think of half a dozen finds that don't involve myself that are pretty ridiculous. That Fair enough. I think it's there. because I'm, I rarely to never have experienced them. So I don't have any optimism for them, but yes, yeah, so you've definitely lived it. So you've, you've definitely <laughs> had some, so I understand where you're at with that. I like the thought that they can exist, but I just feel like, eh, I don't know, man. I think those days are very numbered. Yeah. But you have to think like <laughs> there were days that I put in, you know, like 20 hours to looking for records and like maybe found one incredibly cool thing. But that's like 20 solid hours 
put in to try <laughs> to true. find that. So it's like, and you, we, you, Chris, you're like, you're acting like you got nothing, <laughs> my friend. You've got some good records. We had, we both benefited from Absolutely. being in the right place. Absolutely. Right not together. at all am I denying that. I'm just saying that the, I don't think I've ever had some of the fines like you've had, but, uh, but you have definitely, you're, you're in the hotbed. Like, I'm not, uh, I wasn't on the grind like you. <laughs> Well, that was a problem, Chris. Like, well, I was collecting all these hardcore records. You were super into your uh, uh, early '90s uh, and '90s emo <laughs> records. No, record not at any point. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Just kidding, Chris. Anyway, on to the show. This is actually now. If people are wondering if we have the same sort of conversations off air that we do on air, kind of forgot that we were on air there and just thought we were talking pretty off much air yeah. for a second. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I guess let's, uh, I, I guess, you really uh, intro the show, I guess let's, uh, let's yeah, the email and all that, that, I guess. All right. That, do that. You're right, Chris. <laughs> Thank you for bringing me back into the reality that we're actually recording. Uh, turn out a punk. Chris, at, how do they get in touch? Sorry. Turn out a punk footnotes at gmail.com rather. And, uh, yeah, that's where you can communicate with us. And we have a very active mailbag as you will find out shortly. Mm-hmm. And also this week we're going to be talking about a, a phenomenal episode, not once again be, have anything to do with me, but because the guest is unreal and the story of his journey through punk is unreal. Craig Ferguson is the guest. And right off the top, I got to say, Tomas, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything. You are a friend forever. And, you know, I love Tomas when he would make sure that I was okay to get backstage to see Dinosaur Jr. and sing with them on stage. But my God, I owe that <laughs> it guy was a, a good uh, now. Well, we'll get into it. But yeah, I really enjoyed it, the interview. Yeah, we'll get into it uh, a little bit further. But I guess off the top, uh, we're going to, I guess, talk about. Yeah, this is fairly first, recent. So right? I didn't have a lot of time to find out exactly the specifics, but, um, yeah, you, you take it off the top here. Well, yeah, like re, I guess like la- last night, uh, Alexis Arquette, well, we're, as of us recording this, I should say recently Alexis Arquette passed away and Alexis Arquette, for those of you unfamiliar is a member of the Arquette family, of course, with like Rosanna Arquette, David Arquette, you know, like a Hollywood royalty. And she was a, a incredibly cool person. I got to interact with her one time and uh, I thought you know because it is tangentially related to punk in some way I, I talk, kind of talk about it on the show and uh, anyway so we were staying at um, Michelle from Miko Miko's house and she lived with the son of Patricia Arquette and the drummer I believe of Wasted Youth wow yeah which is pretty, pretty nuts to think. Uh, and that's then, the spectrum that right there. Yeah. And then I guess like the Arquette family owned the house and Alexis Arquette lived downstairs. And so I was staying there and Judd was staying there, um, from, uh, SexFid as well, right? Like we were hanging out together and kind of yep. doing, kind of doing what we're talking about, those record collecting digs. <laughs> yeah. Like that's exactly what we're doing is just like trolling from record store to record store. And, you know, like we both were familiar with Alexis because of like, you know, various acting roles she's had and, and like movies, like she was in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Again, like I, to see her, I recognize her, but I can't think of roles off the top of my head, but yeah. 
And then she was also on The Surreal Life, the season with Maven from WWE, <laughs> uh, Tough <laughs> Enough. Yeah. So I, I would definitely. So we, we when we found out that Alexa was downstairs, we were like, oh, we got to try and meet her. Right. Like, that'd be so cool. So yeah. Judd and I just went downstairs and we just hung out before we went. We were going to go to Okie Dog. Right. <laughs> Boy, and so yeah. we're just hanging out in front. And then uh, sure enough, like Alexa just like opens the door and comes out. And it's like, hey, what's up? And we just talked to her for, you know, like, I don't know, half hour or so, you know, and, and talked a little bit about music. I don't know. I'm like, and I think I have this vague recollection. Now I might just be like putting something onto the memory about her saying that she was in a punk, but I'm, I'm not a hundred percent on that. But, uh, but yeah, just super cool. Like a fun. Hit. Nice. And, uh, so rest in peace, uh, Alexis and, uh, yeah. And, uh, a, a really fun memory that I will cherish for forever now. Yeah, totally. That's a crazy story, man. Yeah. And, and, you know, I should call Judd. Judd would be someone that would be awesome to have on this show as a guest. Yes. Agreed. You know, talking about bands turning down labels, the band that turned down Sub Pop. Really? Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Okay. Yeah, Sexfit, there was interest from Sub Pop, and they were like, uh, no thanks. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And I don't know how serious the conversations were, and I don't know what, but, like, yeah, they, they, they said no. Um, but anyway, on to, I guess, more uh, pleasant things, not than Sexfit and Sub Pop. But but though a Sexfit sub pop record would have been very cool. Yeah, I've always I've said I think on the show before, sort of for my trajectory of a lot of bands, I always want bands to at least have one sub pop single to like yeah. create the perfect um, the perfect amount of releases. They should have at least one sub pop single would be great. Probably back to like hearkening to my nineties uh, whatever nostalgia or something. Um, so you guys are the band, one band I've always wanted, thought and wanted to do it. And yeah, they would be an excellent one. I agree. Uh, we, there was a, at one point we were blocked by a label that will not be named, uh, from doing one. <laughs> uh, I think you've said that on the show before too. That's why I laughed. <laughs> yeah. Not the, not actually named. But you know what? No, you know what? You don't need that to be a perfect discography because I'm just checking the Melvins do not have one. Uh, I don't know, my friend. I think they do. I don't think they do. I bet you they. I'm not saying it is. It isn't perfect if you don't. But it's one of those things where one, like. Oh, you're right. They do. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do too. No, it's an album, Mike and the Melvins, from 2016. I swore there was at least one before that, and I could. Maybe I'm wrong. People are going to be yelling right now. They're on a couple compilations, but no, nothing's going up on on the old. uh, Dishogs. Well, I don't know. I find that hard to believe for some reason, but um, probably just because of geographically where where they. Yeah, they probably were like are, they but... were probably like a too cool for school vibe on that, and they were probably in LA, to be honest. By the time that thing really started taking off, and they were associated with another label that has a pretty uh, uh, lofty discography to to unravel, and that is. Amphetamine reptile. Yeah, I thought you were going with the other one. They have associations with like a couple of those. See, I would like amphetamine reptile is another one, but sympathy, of course, they did stuff on. Yeah, I'd those, say that's what I mean. Like perfect, like bands who were if you're able to cross, or you know, or check all those boxes, it would be those kind of labels. Mind you, a lot of them don't exist anymore, basically. But uh, uh, both Amrap and Sub Pop still exist. 
Yeah, I just mean like Man's Ruin or Sympathy. Yeah, or, true. You know, they they kind of exist, sort of. I guess I don't know. Honestly, for me, like yeah, Sub Pop was there. I wanted to release on Sub Pop for obvious reasons. Also, I wanted to release on Fat. Um, uh, but like a single would be amazing on Fat Records, I think. Uh, and uh, but I, for me, it was HG Fact. <laughs> you mentioned that, which I find totally makes sense. But I just find it funny that. How many people in the world would be more <laughs> excited about HG Fact than some of the other ones you mentioned? Well, like, uh, I think, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know, like, it'd be hard to compare discographies of, like, Amphetamine Reptile to HG Fact. But HG Fact, it's like, you know, they put out records by High Standard and they put out records by Judgment. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, like, it's, it's, a, it's a monster of a catalog. I think, what about like a, a tri-split where you could get, it would be HD Facts, Sub Pop, and Fat, and you would have one single. Oh my god. Well, I don't think <laughs> HD Facts putting out records anymore. I know, I just mean like how that would be a, an interesting way of crossing that all off too. How about like the first crop of HD Fact records being like, like, you know, like bands that you don't, well I guess Zao or Zoa, Z-O-A. People still talk about it a little bit. Oh, Doom. Forget what I was going to go with. I was going to say that people don't really remember the early records, but then it's like, but then once you get to HG Fact, number 12, Hellchild, Discord, and Saxis split. <laughs> yes. The Ruins split early on, too. With oh, yeah, Ruins. Austin. That's too, that's the Japanese Ruins. I, was, I always get yeah. them confused with Philadelphia. There's a Philadelphia Ruins, too, right? I don't know. I wasn't aware of that. I only I'm only aware of the Japanese. But then also fifteen Death Side. Yeah, there's some. It's fun. Even this Melt Banana got. Anyway, we're already down a wormhole here. But yeah, HG Facts. We're down a wormhole already. <laughs> yeah. Raise Fist has a record on <laughs> HG Facts. Yep. So weird. Grief corrupted split. Okay, Chris, we got to get off this. Oh God. Okay, yeah, you've gone. On. You've gone on it. I'm closing. So on. I don't remember where we were. We haven't even gotten to mailbag yet. Did you have something else to no, mention? Nothing else. Nothing else. Okay, mailbag. All right. So you want to start the first one? Or you want me to take it? Uh, no, you take it. All right. First one. A few random thoughts from Chris D. Uh, one band with successive lead singers. Did no one mention Dropkick Murphys yet? Oh, uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and no one has. So that's uh. I'm, that's why this this email piqued my interest specifically because I couldn't believe we hadn't touched on it. Yeah, because um, that is a good multiple singer one and one that I have a very strong feeling about um, one over the other. Okay, but, well, I want to uh, hear your strong feeling because I could go either way. Well, what I think you're gonna for you, I think, but uh, okay. for me, well, for me, it's for me, really... thinking as you, Chris, it could go either way. <laughs> a lot of people think as me, but I don't think they get me right. I'll say that much. But uh, uh, for Dropkick Murphys, I'm fully first singer. I don't remember his name. Uh, but a huge but here. Uh, what's the second guy's name? Al, Al Bar. Al Bar. Al Bar in the Bruisers, however, I love. But I'm not. It's not to say I don't like him in the Murphys. Let's say, but I'm not really into later Murphy stuff. So I never got into him in the Murphys. But I love him in the Bruisers. But uh, if if we're just talking dropping Murphys, I'm strictly first singer guy. Except actually, I shouldn't say that. The first single he's on, Al Bar, uh, is great, which I think is. Prayer for Fallen something. I can't remember what the signal is called. Uh, anyway, yeah, so that's my that's my position. How, how closely to what you thought would it be? 
Well, it's kind of it, it, kind of what I thought you were going to go with. I will say that that first singer is kind of like the Zoli Teglis of boy. <laughs> yes, totally. You know, like he's doing... it's a good way of putting it, actually. Yeah. You know, and I love Ignite, so that's not like uh, no. You know, I, like... I just I laugh because it was very apt that you did put it well. I think they have like large range, yeah. vocal range. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like they've got like uh, a different like. Uh, it's almost like they're taking a professional vocalist approach to their respective genres. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's why I do like Al's vocal more because I like it more as like a, a quote unquote meat and potato oi kind of a <laughs> hard vocal, a hard oi. You're right. Vocal. It is harder and it is more gruff. And traditionally, that would be my my sort of gravitational pull, but. For whatever reason, I think what it is primarily, though, is that this is just a band that, for me, I go up to only a certain point, and then I'm kind of out. And it's not to say the latest stuff isn't good. I just, I'm not, I never really followed it. So, um, but yeah, sorry, it's Curse of a Fallen Soul is the first Albar single, I believe, uh, of Dropkick Murphys. And that is a good one. But uh, the um, but yeah, that first LP for me, is like the one that kind of exemplifies. First LP or that first EP exemplify that band, and I don't think anything else really kind of did it as much, in my view, at least. I'm trying to remember which one, like, it was another EP. I think it's the last EP with the other singer that I was super into, but then I traded to Matt DeLong for the Blade Crasher demo. And, uh, <laughs> and seven what, a random, what a random trade. <laughs> yeah, I took the subway all the way to his house to do it one night after doing Mods and Rockers. <laughs> <laughs> it was real. Those are real years right there. Those are some real years, my friend. What I will uh, say, and I don't want to out anybody here, but uh, I will say, at least I can speak for myself, I'm not sure for you, neither of us owned any Dropkick Murphys, uh, let's say, jerseys or paraphernalia, though, whereas someone we know did. Uh, Yeah, no, I definitely... I've definitely worn some jerseys in my time. <laughs> I so. have too, but I never had that one for whatever reason. I like a straight face jersey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. Um, I'm trying to figure out which member of the Dropkick Murphys was in the outlets. Ooh, I don't know. They got a lot of ex-members in this band. Yeah, now they do it seemingly. Um, I just wanted to mention, we didn't get the, the guy's name. The first singer was Mike. Mike yeah. Anyway, I don't. Yo, how about the fact that there's a, a member of the Dropkick Murphys that was also in the Joel Plaskett emergency? What? Who? Uh, Tim uh, Brennan. What? He must have been. That's wild. No, and he was in the Joel Plaskett emergency, Chris. He played on two. Rec- he played down no, at yeah, Tiber. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's like a wonder. great record too. I was not aware that he had. And he's now like a, a member of Dropkick Murphys. Oh, it looks like he's back doing stuff with Joel Plaskett. Well, let's look here. Yeah, he's on Kyber. I've definitely seen this this uh, emergency lineup that he was in, and I do remember him. But uh, that's we got to get this guy on the podcast. Yes, you do immediately. Like, how did the, how does that transition happen? Well, that's gonna like it's. Uh, you're right. He is on the newest Plaskett record that was released. So yeah, yeah he's he's back with. Uh, that's crazy. I was not aware of that. I saw him. Uh, obviously, he's from out there, or he's tight with them because he's on a Dave Marsh record here. That's too. So it's uh, some kind of like Nova Scotia connections. Connections, pardon me. Um, wait, wait, wait. And there's also uh, apparently 
a member of the Dropkick Murphys that was that was also in Cheap Tragedies with Tony Erbach. Wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah. This is like been very lucrative, this wormhole. <laughs> I had no idea. You need to get this guy on though, Tim Brennan, yes. There you go. And that's not even like yeah, like the like the coolest member for discography, other than Al Bar and you know and oh here, Rick Rick Barton was the founding guitarist, but he left after the second LP. Of the outlets. Yeah. But he was in the outlets as well. And fuck, the outlets are incredible. I never got into that band, I gotta say. So you I don't go, know. Oh, you gotta go back and listen to those two records. Cool. They're amazing. And but it's also it's like it's nuts to think that in this band oh he's also in the laurels too wow this guy was in a lot of cool shit um like you have a member of fit for abuse that's what i was trying to get to matt kelly yeah. has like an incredible discography of hardcore stuff too a member of the outlets and uh, a member of the bruisers and a member of the joel plaskett <laughs> emergency <laughs> and a member of cheap tragedies and yeah. also spiky mchaggis it's just, it is wild. This is nuts. I did not know this, but uh, it's funny. This email. I got made your day with that one, Chris. You did. You did did well on that. You need to get that Tim Brennan on the show. That'd be great. Okay, well, tell like you know, don't get uh, like there's a there's an army of listeners out there that could also help us. There you this. go. Yeah, reach out. Uh, the rest of this email <laughs> though, we we, we, had a, we kind of went off on that first point, but uh, yeah, it did well. But uh, this person wrote in. Um, in regards to being a 37-year-old who did see the Ramones live at Lollapalooza in 96, just for them and Rancid, he went. Uh, even though it was 40 degrees Celsius, he left three thousand pounds of set worth it, especially in retrospect, he writes. But um, he, he ties into other things discussed on Footnotes 94, he says here, which is the Ramones and how continued success relies so much on personalities of band members. And he relates this with the idea that the Ramones, at least presented in the books, like Please Kill Me and Dee Dee's memoir, Poison Heart, uh, was that they were only four guys uh, in Queens. They were the only four guys in Queens who liked the Stooges in brackets or Forest Hills. Uh, but the way it joined together the perfect mix of musical understanding, Tommy, brackets, bizarre charisma and pop sensibility, Joey, demented songwriting and, and air of danger, Dee Dee, and killer business sense, Johnny, will never cease to amaze me. The tension within art uh, between creative and commerce for those who didn't want to have a day job at least, is probably unfairly simplified as Joey versus Johnny, but it seems to be a necessary evil uh, for a band's continued success. And he sort of cites Brian Wilson and, and uh, another member of the Beach Boys. But uh, he was wondering our thoughts on the idea of band dynamics and the balance that needs to exist to keep a group going and specifically ask you, since you've had so many conversations with people in bands and continued success, not forgetting that fucked up also qualifies. Damien, what are your thoughts? Oh, man. That's a pretty uh, lengthy kind of way to go about it, but I thought that was an interesting point. Yeah, it is an interesting point. I think there is definitely that pull, you know, and there's always that pull. Uh, but I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if you can say it's commerce so much as people in a band there's always members of the band that are more practical and then there are always members of the band that are more dreamers and it's trying to get the practical people and the dreamers to line up is the challenge. Um, I'm not one of the practical ones. <laughs> uh, depends so, on the band. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the band. That's true. I was practical before I had kids. It's crazy to think that like 
how many bands I had. <laughs> yes, at various points. Yeah. At various points, I had I would have a lot of bands on the go. I guess now I have a lot of podcasts. There you go. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like it is. It is an interesting kind of. You know, I was always wonder with the Ramones though, how much of that is myth, and how much like were they savvy to what they were doing? What in specific to what, like the Johnny versus jo- uh, Joey? No, thing? I mean like, well, I mean like just like the the idea that these were just like these random guys from Queens who met up. Like they had all been in bands, right? Tommy had already recorded bands by that point, I believe. Gotcha. So you're saying they they had made a bit of the myth before, and uh, yeah, yeah. Like, are they? There was like a maybe a conscience kind of air of how they were presenting themselves. Like, I, I think, I don't think like the personality conflict was put on at all because I think no, that was yeah, yeah. very quiet until after they broke up. Yeah, I agree there. Uh, I'm kind of with you on the, like, I'd like to think it was just this, like four guys just like got together, played it and it was perfection. Yeah. <laughs> but rarely is that the case. So I'm going to say there was probably at least some kind of, uh, like self awareness, maybe or something. Yeah, if not a plan, then yeah, at least just some kind of. Uh, I don't know. So I know. It, I, I basically I agree with what you were sort of pointing at earlier, um, but uh, the the sort of dreamer in me wants to believe that no, they just walked out of their basements and that's how, that's what happened. Yeah, this one day they just like picked up these guitars and wrote those songs. yes but a great email this person just goes on to mention the end real quick here just that people that have children now or you know their life priorities change as they age just uh well they don't have those priorities let's say make sure to make the most of your time go out see the bands everything else is sort of uh you can do at any point when you age anyway so yeah great uh great email there there's a lot of good content so i just wanted to touch on that yeah like it's, it's summed up in a great song you're only young once so do, it <laughs> so right. do it right yeah there you go that is a great song too anyway it's a great song holy jeez. uh okay so my one uh yes thank you very much for that email though um and i guess i didn't really answer to i didn't the main point of that email which was that kind of conflict that exists because I think, yeah, like the, I've never thought of it that way, but there is that kind of Joey Johnny to Mike love and Brian Wilson. Yeah. I think there are a lot of bands that have those two big dynamics. I think yeah, yeah. there I are, guess it would be of- flipped over to my equation didn't make sense, but I meant it, you know, you know how it makes sense. Everyone who knows is familiar with the parties involved. Knows how it makes sense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, great, great message. Um, but yeah, I think like there's another there's a tricky thing too where certain bands I think just have it's more than like the the two sort of predominant uh, things. I think the the Ramones where he points out like they kind of have the perfect four breaking it down the way he did. It's like yeah, yeah well that, thought about that way. But that was like such a brief lineup, right? Like yeah, true. The Ramones, the Ramones, I kind of think of like you know there's like three very well four really distinct periods, right? If you count Richie. Yeah, which I count Richie because I love I love the mustache. <laughs> your favorite, your favorite, favorite Ramone. <laughs> Great. I don't know. It's hard to choose. Uh, well, he's got the mustache. Kristen, short hair. <laughs> <laughs> the only one who's like, yeah, okay, I'll I'll join your band. 
But I ain't doing none of this bullshit. <laughs> I'm not even dying my hair. <laughs> this is uh this is a very Damien circa like ninety nine not ninety nine, say two thousand to two thousand two position on the yeah. roads. It's one of the few positions that I haven't, you know, rethought later in life that I had <laughs> back then. I like it. This the going on to the next email. Like this is yeah. one fitting that you're going to take it because it's in relation to that youth of today flyer from a few yeah. weeks past. Yeah. Subjects: Bricks footnote episode. During your Bricks episode, you uh, footnote sorry episode. You mentioned Ildicos and a flyer for a gig there. Just to let you know, the Il the Ildicos, also known as the Bridge and the Starwood Club, was all the same place that is now the Annex Billiards, um, billboards. I thought it was billiards so, hall. Yeah, I think they just wrote it incorrectly, as would okay. be my guess. And it's it's located at five hundred three Bloor Street West, above the Bulk Barn, and it was previously a so. Well, okay, I don't think we need to go into the history of the building. Uh, you mentioned a. I mean, thank you for going into the history of the building for me, but I also remember going to that blockbuster video because I would have to return videos that were mistakenly returned to the video store I worked at. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, you mentioned a flyer for a gig uh, for a show there on August 22nd with Youth of the Day, New Balance, and MSI. I was at the gig but couldn't remember who put it on. Anyway, sorry, he goes. I, I will. I will summarize this part. Uh, he goes on to say who was behind uh, Rampage Productions, and it turns out that it was Steve Perry and Danny Wilkins from Kent was doing shows under the name Rampage, and so they decided to bring it up to Toronto when they did this show. Uh, and then I guess uh, they also did Sick of It All, um, and they did uh, – I guess that was it, just the two. And Glenn Salter helped out as well. And Guilt Parade and the Nunfuckers played one of their shows. But anyway, sort of a really cool little history. And there's some great links uh, also provided. Oh, and it turns out this email is from the uh, the person who did this, who sent this email, Sean C., is the person behind Still Thinking fanzine, which put out the amazing Still Thinking compilation, Chris. I don't know the comp, but yeah, I looked up that zine really quick because the, the link, pardon me, that they gave here was cool. There's a Equalize and Distort, the link they gave, put up a little thing about the zine. I would say that the uh, compilation they put out is the most important uh, late, mid-late 80s punk compilation to come out of Canada. Cool. I can I'm think not of. not familiar with it. Does it have, so the zine has Sons of Ishmael and stuff like that even on the cover. So what is No, that? no, that's the 7-inch. All these bands are on the 7-inch. Like, oh, granted, it's not okay. the best music by all of them, but it's got, like, the Seven Inches got MSI, Nunfuckers, Death of God, Sons of Ishmael, and Guilt Parade. Nice. Yeah. Like, that's like a, that's like an impressive, some murderer's row of, <laughs> you know, of great bands from here. Cool. Guilt Parade, of course, is pre-Sadies. Nunfuckers were, uh, I guess, immortalized by Haymaker when they covered Burning Chemicals. Uh, Death of Gods are just kind of like some super, if you're a fan of inept, grindy metal, um, verging on power violence, uh, Death of Gods are, are worth your time to check out. And then Sons of Ishmael are pretty much as close as you could get to, to like the, uh, a classic Southern Ontario hardcore seven inch, right? Would you say that? I like, like that, first wave yeah, of hardcore. The first one. Yeah. The first one I really think is pretty, pretty like perfect yeah. in many ways. Yeah. And actually the Nunfucker seven inch, that is probably one of my favorite hardcore seven inches. I don't, yeah, I don't own that. I'm assuming 
you do, but yeah, I don't, but yeah, it is very good. Well, it used I, to be I, kind of an I, easy I, record to get. I think though I'm with you. Like I really like that Sons of Mishael, but I think I probably would rate the Nunfuckers a little higher uh, as far as my personal taste as well. Yeah. But the Nunfuckers is pretty insane. Like, yeah. That's a pretty classic record. Terrible, terrible name. <laughs> well, in the best yeah. way, I guess. Uh, but there's also a zine. But oh, thank you so much for sending that in. Uh, uh, that compilation is in, an incredible compilation. Which the actually, zine, I don't have. A, a, I don't own a copy of it. Wow, I'm actually yeah. surprised at that. I do not own a copy of it. I've never seen one, but the, the zine in its entirety, at least uh, issue one, is on that link, so we can put it up. Like the full scans of the the pages and the whole nine. Yeah, and that of course is from the Equalize and Distort blog, which is done. I believe by who I don't know, but I guess people from Equalizing Distort, including Steve Perry, who I don't know still. Does Steve do the show very much anymore? No, not as much. I'm not certain to be he honest. Wasn't doing the last couple of times I tuned in, but yeah, Steve Perry is a, uh, a a a classic figure in in the way that Sons of Ishmael is a classic seven inch. True in Toronto. Very he, true. Very responsible for a lot of cool stuff over the years, and continues to be involved in a lot of cool stuff. Um. I guess uh, we should move on to the next email, though, now, Chris. Yes. So I'm up. Uh, sorry, I was just reading through the zine as you were. It's very cool. Um, anyway, uh, the next email here is uh, from Kyle. It's regarding St. Vitus and Punk. A big fan of the show, he writes. Uh, I just wanted to add some tidbits to the band brought up in an email by another listener, St. Vitus. While it's probably common knowledge that the band released records on SST and toured with Black Flag in the 80s, they also did... Uh, a more superior than the original, in my opinion, cover of Black Flag's Thirsty and Miserable on their EP of the same name. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only that, but in the early 2000s, guitarist Dave Chandler, guitarist of St. Vitus, formed a band called Debris, uh, Debris Inc. Incorporated, uh, with Ron Halsner Hol- on bass, former member of doom metal band Trouble, very cool, and Place of, Place of Skulls. Is it is it place of skulls? Oh, that's place, but I feel like that's pro. I don't know house of skulls. But I'm yeah. gonna say yeah, maybe it's misplaced, but uh, wrong word rather. But either maybe way. I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong. <laughs> uh, and he says uh, Jimmy Bauer on drums, member of Down, I Hate God, Superjoint Ritual, former member of COC, and the New Orleans band Crowbar. Wow. And wasn't he also in uh, Shell Shock? Or no, was that someone else from? It doesn't listen. I hate God. Pro- We'd probably have to go to the resource, and I'm getting best okay. betting that he might be. But you move um, on, buddy. <laughs> but apparently, it says apparently Dave Chandler formed the band because he wanted to play music that sounded more punk than the music he was he made in Saint Vitus. Debris Incorporated were a decent band that only put out a demo uh, and a full length. I don't know if they played shows, but the self-titled full length is a cool listen that I recommend. So yeah. Great email, Kyle. I didn't know that. I always like when people kind of send us messages with all like the lineages of all the members, and especially when it's kind of neat bands. Like I like that band, The Trouble, not uh, to be confused with the Boston punk band of the early two thousands, late nineties, or whatever. Yeah, uh, who, are, who are good too, but this one's the the metal, whatever crossover style doom, whatever. I guess there was some connection between the two. Was there? Yeah, Jimmy Bauer did play in Shell Shock. Oh, sorry. I thought we could talk about the trouble. I was like, "What?" The tr- oh no, sorry. The no trouble sick. <laughs> I know. Have you heard the thing now where like one couple of guys in the band were like, "Well, we weren't all Christian." So we weren't- <laughs> no, I've not. I didn't follow them that closely, but I yeah. just thought they were all right. 
Anyway, great email. We have a correction up next. Okay, what's the crew? Let's get to that one. There you go, from our Norwegian correspondent. Uh oh yeah, I, I right correction. Yeah, new rose not not neat was the first punk record. That that is true. I knew that um, after I said that and I left there. I'm like, oh god, <laughs> someone's going to call me on this. <laughs> and uh, he mentions here the guitar player in the band Goodbye Mr. McKenzie, which was mentioned in the interview. Uh, with Craig Ferguson, I believe. Together with Shirley Manson was Big John Duncan, formerly of The Exploited, and later played some guitar for Nirvana, which I did not know that last bit. Did you? Uh, I, I did know that, yeah. Like, so what, in the studio? No, it was like a touring member. Really? Wow. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that at all. Yeah, like, I think, I'm pretty sure that was the, the deal before Barack, before Pat Smear. Wow. No idea. Okay, cool. There was also another member, right? Like another fourth guitar, or sorry, fourth member? I don't know. I know obviously they had a, a different drummer originally, but I don't know that sort of stuff, like those members. I don't really know. Well, I should probably go to the resource. <laughs> Get like a full Nirvana breakdown of the entire yeah. lineups of Nirvana. Man, it'd be one of those long ones, Chris. Hey, that's fine. Um, uh, all right. We have a regular contributor up next, and I'm sure you want to take this message because you love to go through these ones. Okay, Pat Smear. Jason Everman. Yeah. Who played in... Um, he's Sound on Bleach. Bleach. Yeah, he's on Bleach. But I yeah. thought that was the drummer, no? Oh, yeah. Then, but no, what was the other... Uh, no, Chad Channing. Chad Channing was the drummer? Okay. Yeah. On Bleach. Uh, Jason was the second guitarist. And then... Oh, and then there's, yeah, that other guy, Aaron uh, uh, Birkenhard, who played the very first stuff with Nirvana. Huh, okay, cool. But I, I don't know. That's, uh, I guess, I guess uh, Big John didn't play any records with him. Yeah, strange. I just couldn't believe there's any connection to... I thought, like, the Germs connection is a bizarre one, even for Nirvana to an extent, but... The, like an exploited one, I would have never guessed ever. Yeah, like I think maybe I think Dave even was telling us about that on that tour. Dave Grohl. Oh, okay. He yeah, wasn't telling cool. us as in the Royal Us. I meant I meant fucked up. <laughs> I meant fucked up. Sorry, Chris. Not I just you. don't want the audience. Even though you remember a fucked up, you let's never forget that. <laughs> I'm not auxiliary member, I guess. Yeah, you're like as much a member of fucked up as the dude from Exploited was Nirvana. <laughs> Great. Never forget that. <laughs> I'll take it. That's fine. Um, all right. So let's move on to the next. Sorry, I didn't mean to bang my mic there. No problem. Let's move on to the next one. Let me get ready for the takedown. <laughs> Regular correspondent. I'm not even going to say message anymore. This is his, let's just say this is his weekly, uh, I don't know what you want to say, column, editorial. Um, yeah, this is like weekly. Uh, rant section um yeah. uh what well, okay obviously uh yeah this is dave martin friend of the show has written in not a fan of guitar wolf chris well he kind right of the top. yeah he, he i i like yeah he definitely isn't as much a fan of them as i am but i do think uh he sort of hits the nail on the head with saying he saw them more recently and that they were decent, but they played a little long, which is, is something I could back. That's more or less my my view on it. Yeah, like it's and it's hard. Like 
it would be hard to be that band, right? Like, it's like one of those things where do you, people want the shtick. Like, people go to the shows wanting that. And when you don't give them that, they're disappointed. Yes, exactly. So, so like, the, you know, Dave, uh, you know, kind of like hints at the fact that it was a total shtick at times. And it's like, yeah, but like, that's what people wanted. Yeah, agreed. I, I'm sort of, I'm torn because I, 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 I can see what he's saying, but I'm, I'm kind of see what you're saying too with regards to that. As a performer yourself, not to say that you're in a band that has like a shtick that you rely on or something, but, um, yeah, it would be difficult to be that band or a band like that. Yeah, like, I don't know. And also for me, like, I've tried, you know, I find it way harder. And there are definitely shows where I don't go in the crowd and do all that stuff. And I find that those shows way fucking harder. <laughs> Why? Uh, I don't know. It just feels too weird to stand on the stage the whole time. Okay, fair enough. You know, I've done it, but it's 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 not not easy. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then he goes on, uh, Dave does to, uh, say stop. Oh, he goes on to say the B-52s don't be meant, don't deserve to be mentioned the same breath that we mentioned, uh, the other new wave wimps in. Um, and he says those first shows in the late seventies and early eighties, they were all packed into one huge car and they were genuinely, genuinely raw and insane, uh, to speaking about the B-52s and like, yeah, no, I think the B-52s. We both agreed we're like yep. one of the coolest bands. I agree you know? totally. Yep. Um, and then he says, "Stop talking about the police." Worst <laughs> band. He says, "Fucked up." Should re-record police and change the <laughs> lyrics to be about the band. And to that, I say, Dave, check your lyric sheet. There's already a line about the band, the police. It worked into the original lyrics. So um, we got that. We got you, Dave. Don't worry. We got you. <laughs> Uh, okay. And then he talks about weird Paul. Um, oh, I believe someone else mentioned, right. When they, they wrote, Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. How that came up, I believe. And he says it was a very appropriate name for this guy. Cause he is well, a little weird. Um, and there's, he has no beef with that though. And there were a few good songs in that early era, 1989 or so around those foundry shows is when Manny Thiner, legendary Pittsburgh promoter, hated figure, etc., played drums for him. Manny is on the Homestead LP. Huh. All right. And then he, he was, yeah, he's mentioned this hashtag <laughs> a couple times now. And so I guess he wants us to bring it up. And it's hashtag never smally um, in regards to Dag Nasty. Um, yeah. I love the Dave Smalley record, though. I like it, but I prefer I prefer the other vocalist. Um, but like Sean, or yeah, the guy who came after, who's got I like. I don't the, know what the order of that band. I always forget how many singers they have, or whatever. But the the Wigo record, I think, is the one with the other guy, right? Pretty sure. Well, there's there's like a bunch with like they like I guess how many? Okay, now we got to go to the resource. Yeah, the resource is up now. We got to do it. We got to do um, it. But either way, Never Smalley doesn't work because it only works in reference to, well, let's just say for the argument of, of say, Dag Nasty, which I can respect someone feels that way. But you can't say Never Smalley because then you don't have DYS, and that doesn't work. Yeah, and then you, you know, I would say, though, I prefer the, uh, the Dag Nasty LP to the DYS Brotherhood record. Yerk, that's nuts. Not with you there at all. But Brotherhood might be my least favorite of the first Exclaim stuff. <laughs> that's insane to me there's too. There's like a bunch of novelty songs on it, Chris. I love that record. And perhaps, there's like, but there are joke songs on it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard. Look, you're you're also like 
comparing it amongst the super elite. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's the weakest of the elite. Like, it's still good, but it's just saying it's not like, it certainly isn't, you know, uh, kids will have their say. No, but that's... No, or, I think, or it's, I think the EP you know, is my favorite, but yeah. Um, let me see here. Um, I think the second FUs is certainly, and again, it's yeah, a, it's a both the FUs record. records, I'd say I like prefer more. No, I I don't is what I'm saying. I prefer the first. I like the first FUs a lot. You don't like My America? No, I, I have it. It's great, but it's just not. I don't. I, I like think My I like America more. The first one. Um. Let me see here. This is a good little debate we're on. But uh, you were looking up. What were you looking up again? <laughs> oh, we were looking up Dave Smalley. Uh, we're going to see. Uh, oh, the diagnosty order. breakdown. Dag- yeah, yeah, yeah. Jerry's right. kids. Is this my world? Is it better than that? Uh, probably not for me. Yeah, if you, yeah. Jerry's kids is way better. Well, I just for me, I don't. I do like. I think that few's second one is the only one. Uh, my God. Okay, now I got to go back. Like, look. Okay, let's go through this brotherhood record and see. Girls <laughs> Got Limits up, is not I don't know it's not but Open Up is incredible More Than Fashion is incredible Brotherhood's incredible There's I don't know I really like this anyway we're discussing near perfection to near perfection but um, this but record yeah. is a $300 record yeah that's the times we're in my friend holy fuck I wasn't kidding earlier when I said you couldn't afford that Neos if you found it. <laughs> you can't. We both can't. Yo, okay. This can't be real. But if you click on Exclaim. I know. It has the Fu Manchu edition. It has the Fu Manchu record. <laughs> Which I don't. Yeah. It's either someone's being silly about they, it. They, or... but they do a cover. Oh, they do a cover. Nothing ah, done. Okay. So that's why. Well, yeah. sick as they do a cover of that on that CD. <laughs> It does look really funny though, because when it comes up and you search by the label, yeah, you get like the genuine label, and then all of a sudden it's like the Fu Manchu entries, which just totally harshes the vibe of the. No wait, the Fu Manchu that record's sick. That might be the best Exclaim release ever. <laughs> I like I like Fu Manchu. I love Fu Manchu, but it's just uh, it doesn't. Let's just say it doesn't work to me comparatively in that lineup. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely. Did you anyway, find, let's did move you on. Find this your dag nasty thing? No. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, let's go back to the dag nasty thing. My God, I just can't believe the prices on these records. Yeah. And uh, wait a sec. What kids will either say they don't have an official release for it? What do you mean? I'm just looking at the kids will either say, trying to see what that is. Oh, it's expensive. I don't know what. Uh, yeah. Dag nasty. Dang nasty. Because um, what the Smalley record is what? Four on the floor, right? Yeah. And oh, he's on the, all the later ones? Oh no, Minority One he's on too, right? Yeah, they brought back. They, he came back. Yeah. He's not on is he, He's not on field day? No, no, no. He was gone. Okay. So, okay, now I'm going to be sorry. I got lost in the exclaim price hole, like realizing that. Okay, you know what another tip is? Buy every record. Because. <laughs> They're not going to get cheaper, <laughs> and there'll come a time where you'll be like, "Fuck, I can't buy any of these records anymore." <laughs> yes. so buy every record. Uh, okay. Uh, so the so they're like like uh, all ages show no eighty eighty five to eighty six is the first recordings. 
For Smalley, you're saying? Or for- no, for uh, that's for Dag Nasty. Okay. And uh, that was when they had um, I think Sean Brown's on the first stuff. And then I think it's Dave Smalley. And then it's Peter Cotner, Cortner. Okay. I think that's how it goes, right? No? Well, the one I'm seeing here, I can't find the early one, but there's got to be. Yeah, there's 85. That's right. Okay, so – uh, you're right. Like the Swizz guy is on the early stuff. And yeah. Then it jumps to Swizz, by the way, too. Um, but. Uh, yeah, and also, you know what also sick? Fury, the Swizz hardcore band that they did, like the straight up, like, raging kind of hardcore band. Yes. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say I like Swizz more than Dag Nasty as well. But anyway. Um, yeah, like, I, I would. Oh, yeah, that's kind of an interesting thing. Like, I don't know. They, like, talk about Zoli Teglis vocals. Like, <laughs> D- Dave Smalley on the Dag Nasty record is is <laughs> laying the groundwork. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was like uh yeah, that's where it all began in many ways. Um, yeah, either way, for me, the first two sort of LPs and that early EP kind of thing is, is Dag Nasty territory for me. So I don't, I mean, I'm okay with it. Four on the floor, I got when it came out. I can bear it, but yeah, I definitely don't think of that era as Dag Nasty in my mind. But that's me. Okay. Well, I, I kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe because I got that CD. That's why I, I guess I associate with them with it. I still own it, probably. <laughs> a double CD? The, the the two records on one CD thing? Uh, I don't know. It's just the four on the floor. I don't think it's got two on it. But it's oh, no. Two. I'm thinking of the first. No, I'm thinking of, I was talking about like, oh, that, the early can stuff. I say we got a Denko's double CD was why I think I associate them so much I'd with these small. I probably have that as well. No, as well, now that I think about it, looking at it. But, um, yeah, either way, I don't know. Never Smalley, I don't know if I'm with uh, Dave on that one. Yeah, it's a hard one, Dave. Don't know if I'm going to back you on that one either. <laughs> anyway, that's the- Maybe, like, politically, Never Smalley. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, especially if they're voting. If it's, like, a presidential runoff and we're voting, yeah, I'm going to go with the Never Smalley hashtag on that one, Dave. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's the end of mailbag. Either that's way. the end of mailbag. Oh, we actually didn't take. Oh, uh, yeah, we 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 took about an hour, but <laughs> so hey. we're in. We're in, everyone. Welcome in. to the other side of the mailbag. <laughs> there you go. All right. So this week on the show, we are going to be talking about the Craig Ferguson episode. And as I said off the top, once again, Tomas, uh, thank him if you enjoyed this episode, um, and if you. Uh, enjoyed this episode. You are like myself. I think this one was a fun one. And it's crazy to think about how much this music affected him to this day. Yeah, totally. Like the interview is, I, I'm always shocked when you should like, you always assume that people are, are, I don't know, people like this, of this kind of whatever celebrity status or whatever. It's never going to be, as as cool as you expect, or at least that's kind of my attitude going into this always. But I've been very uh, surprised on a number of occasions in recent history, and this is certainly one of the major ones recently. Because I, I had you had mentioned briefly to me, uh, you know, whatever little things that I I didn't really know much about. But the interview, the extent that he talks about things is just kind of wild, and uh, I'm very much in accord with him about a lot of things which also shocked me too because i'd never really gotten into his comedy or anything like that so um yeah anyway i don't know i just thought it was great but yeah you, you're taking your first point there 
Uh, yeah, I guess for me, um, I guess I'm going to jump off with, uh, uh, the the damned. Yeah, okay. You know, that record, and I think like that's the thing that's always you know hard to kind of remember is that people were hearing this stuff for the first time. Like it wasn't like you know you had grown up on Rancid and then you heard the damned. It was like yeah. this is coming out of like he was talking about like Focus and like Rush and bands like that, and then all of a sudden to hear this, and I guess Hawkwind. And things like that have maybe pre- prepared them a little bit, but it's still very shocking well, compared to that. Well, I think it's a testament, at least to that early Dan stuff. And I actually like, you know, damned along the way a good deal. But Oh, I like him um, right up till today. Like, I still think he did. Yeah, he's got one of the best voices in music. Yeah, very, very cool band, period. But um, what you're saying about getting into groups like this, as you and I did in many cases due to our age, um, what stands out is when he's talking about need, 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 and that the bass and the whole that whole intro, like that's still you know uh, when you think of how many things came after that and how much later I had heard something like that, it still jumped out and like crushes. Yeah, you know, that's like, true. So much stuff. So it's just one of those. New Rose is always one of those songs too. You know, speaking in, in the relative era, like I know it's classic and it's like you know very overdone. Like everyone's familiar with it. If you're familiar with the damn song, it tends to be that one, but. That song floors me to this day. I, I think it's incredible. The breakdown, the kind of the middle of that tune, is just so raging. But uh, yeah, the intro "Neat Neat Neat" is is raging. It's amazing. Yeah, and it still sounds like super aggro. It's it's yeah, I love it. So I'm with him, but I, I think it's just one of those things where it was just like lightning in a bottle. It's timeless. Yeah, you're right, but I still think it's like. The impact is lessened in today than I I think like how shocking it would have been maybe it's no, still yeah, just sure. as ama- it's just as powerful and musically awesome but I think like maybe the shock is diminished. No, agreed there. I just for some reason this is one of these bands where I think the early stuff that they recorded is just represented really well. Yeah, like, there's a lot of great bands you think of that maybe their records don't justify how great they were or something and this is a band where man those records are unreal i think that first lp and the singles are just like absolutely bang i didn't think whatever machine gun etiquette's a great record too and i think that's a little different but it holds up in the same way i don't know i just think they're great yeah like i think they were much more they're an easier van to compare to the clash and the sex whistles the sex whistles i think had like that perfect <laughs> moment that record and that's all yeah. that you know in the build-up that record obviously but like and that's it whereas like you know, you look at the careers of the the Damned and the Clash. It's like they both put out those kind of killer first records, both put out second records that kind of flounder, and then both come back with third records that really make their career. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, and but yeah, like I, you know, that being said, I more of the Damned fan. <laughs> Of course, of course. But you know, I still like I still respect uh, obviously the shit of the Clash and stuff like that. But so, (laughs) uh, but I find that I find it interesting to kind of see that both bands had that kind of like stumbling where they were trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, I think though it's it's one and it could be arguably said too that maybe I don't think it's like in the in the sense of what we were talking about in earlier episodes, but. Perhaps I think of a record like Machine Gun Etiquette as like sort of a departure record. I think um, the other record was like the second record's a weird departure record. 
That second record's like a. I got to go back and listen to it again. The damn. You're talking one. The, the damn 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 LP. Or are you talking about the the second LP? Yeah, yeah. I like it's What's a it I guess, but I don't know, man. I, I like music that for one. pleasure. Like it's pretty like universally just like panned. Yeah, well, I mean, it should be panned for the cover artwork at the very least. But uh, <laughs> well, there's a great story where they tried, like they were really, you know, they were like, we think we can get um, Sid Barrett to produce this record, <laughs> and they were like, oh my god, yes, let's do it, let's do it. And then, like, I guess when they finally got to record it, they had to settle on uh, Nick Mason from <laughs> Pig Floyd, <laughs> <laughs> which is just like, you know, like, it's like, hey, we we might get you the really out there guy from Pink Floyd. Oh, it's like awesome. No, we just got you one of the normal guys. <laughs> yeah, the uh I don't really know that record a great deal to be honest, but it is yeah, it is an eyesore at a minimum. But I don't know, uh, I don't I don't just like that cover that much. Well, comparatively, I don't know. To me it's just I don't look at that and think of the damned. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's like it's a it's they they kind of were trying to figure it out. There's definitely <laughs> fair enough. Definitely some issues with it. But I, I, I find it a very interesting record. I'm sure I would appreciate it now uh, more than I may have at a certain point in time. Like but yeah, like I find it an admirable failure. I kind of, I don't know. I'm into this sort of like the theme of bands doing this now. I'm sort of like, it's, I guess the departure record category is sort of like one I'm intrigued by. More so like looking at, like you said, the career. When you put it in between those two other LPs, it's just such a strange move in many ways. Yeah, well, I think it's just like, you know, like what... You know, it's like every, you know, quote, punk band or hardcore band, you, you get to a point where you're like, where do we take the sound? Yes, exactly. But I think it's funny to think, you know, the middle of those two records like that, they went there that quickly almost. Like, it just seems peculiar. But anyway, great band. I like those records still. I guess they both rushed them out too, right? Like well, it's They both came out in 77. It's listing here. So Stiff, yeah. Stiff was... But I mean, uh, the clash with the uh, give them enough rope. Yes, but I think the, the there was some weird story where I think like the um, I have to look it up now, but the uh, like one was released in different order. Like I think is it the first one was released second or something, even though they recorded. It? I can't. There was some story with that. I'm with the Clash. Yeah, there's something where one of the LPs I think came out. Maybe it was just a North. I think the America. second LP came out in North America before the first LP. Yeah, it was something like that. So that's probably what I'm thinking of. But uh, I like that second one, though. I don't think, um, comparatively there, I don't think I'm with you, because I think Give Enough Rope is pretty standard with the first record. London Calling is a bit of a departure, and San Anista is just out to lunch departure. But Yeah, San Anista is um, But mind you, what's, what's, that for, what's the fourth damned? I mean, the, maybe the career tra- trajectories go a lot deeper than I'm... Uh, well, Machine Gun Black album... Uh, Black Elm, Machine Gun, Dan. Black Elm. Pleasure. Yeah. 80, Chiswick and EMI. Yeah. I know I know the cover, but I don't really know. The, I can't. I, I, I definitely have this record, but I did. God, I, I guess I have the IRS pressing. I had no idea it came out on Chiswick. Oh, because it came out on IRS in Canada, Chris. That's why. <laughs> there you go. I'm just looking at the resource, my friend. I wasn't, wasn't pulling that out of my. No, no, I know. Well, I, I knew I knew what you were looking at, buddy. I can see it too. All right, <laughs> your point, Chris. All right, um, let's see here. I did first of all. I, I have to fully disclo- uh, disclaim that I wasn't 
uh, familiar really with the bands that he was a part of, uh, Craig Ferguson, that is. And I did check out what little I could in the time after hearing the interview. Uh, and I was a big fan, actually. Of, yeah. Like, uh, you told me to check out that expo- exposure, right? They're called? Yeah. yeah. Um, that was cool. Those, uh, if you look, um, it's hard to find on actual YouTube or whatever, but if you look up on Discogs exposure, which is the 10th exposure, um, like the 10th entry of exposure, but if you, Click on that single. Um, it's called Video Eyes Style and Fashion. There are two entries of like the song online. Uh, we should put them both. To, I guess we'll put all those on the blog. Yeah, they're cool. Uh, mean, re- like, really cool songs. Like it reminds me of a bit. Like it's got a, kind of a bit of a Stranglers feel, but it's a bit more wild. Um, it reminds me of yeah. Like I found it kind of reminding the Dickies. Yeah, a little bit of that. It's kind of got like just a bunch of that sort of stuff in there. It's listed here as new wave, post punk, synth pop. I don't know. It's a, it's a little harder for me than that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, a, it's a punk record. Yeah, it's good. But uh, and I really liked the. Um, I don't know. I guess we could talk about exposure if you want to talk about that more, so I don't jump onto another point and do it band by band. Yeah. But, um, so anyway, that exposure single is great. Uh, obviously, I don't own it. I just very recently familiar with it. But uh, do you have this, or did you know about this before interviewing him? Like, how did you dig all this up? Yeah, like I, I kind of, you know, once I found out that he had played in uh, that punk band, the Dream Boys, when all that stuff about Peter Capaldi playing in that band, I think Kevin from maybe told me from What's Your Rupture. Yeah, um, I kind of just dug into it and uh, realized that he played in all these different bands. And then so once it kind of like, I, I was just like, we got to get this guy on the podcast. And then it worked out that Tomas, uh, who had worked with Dinosaur Jr. and was a friend of mine from all those hangs and stuff, uh, was now working. Like he, Craig Ferguson, like hired him to work for him in full time. I, I think he moved him to LA to work with him. Cool. And, uh, yeah, so he, he, you know, mentioned it to Craig and Craig was like, yeah, let's do it. So yeah, I kind of knew about all of them going in. There's also Anna House. Anna Hausen, sorry, which is his one that's like a, once again, I think the resource describes it as minimal synth, but it's, it's much more, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's awesome. I think it's like almost like, you know, hard new wave. If this, if there was actually hard new wave, this would be it. Yeah. I, I'm kind of with you there. Like this, this exposure, it's funny because when we spoke earlier, this was the first one you, you were like, you got to check out exposure. I think I did think it was excellent. I did like uh, some of the maybe one of the Dream Boys songs that a lot that I heard. He doesn't there. play on the single though with the Dream Boys. Oh no, okay, no. But that's why I think that I don't like the drumming on the Dream Boys single at all. Yeah, it's not as powerful. I'll give you that. The, the this exposure is recorded well. I think like it's it's oh wild. yeah yeah, and his drumming on it is killer, and the Anna Housen yeah. drumming is even better. Cool. I haven't heard that one. But um, but this exposure. So you do have this, or you do not have this? Uh, I do not have this. Nice. This is. I may or may not have ordered it already. <laughs> it's very cool. Um, but yeah, Angular Music released it in 1980 out of the United Kingdom. Looks amazing too. Good. Yeah, and he right. says there's a thousand copies of it. Wow. Oh, and that was it. And uh, I like that it it, scri- it says double A side <laughs> as it. Uh, on there but yeah two tracks anyway very very good both are online i I really dug it um i don't know much what so with this band this was his released in 80 so was this the last band he was in or was was his first well this is his first one that recorded i think oh i guess 80 it wouldn't have been last yeah yeah no i think i think he played in um king james and the rattlesnakes is the last one yeah 
Oh. Which I listened to a little that or Lone Wolves, you mean? Lone Wolf, sorry, yeah, yeah. But uh, that one was more. I can only find like one or one song. I think I listened to, and it was more like almost. I wouldn't say rockabilly, like outright, but it was certainly more like that than this stuff. Yeah, like I think that was just. Well, that was kind of where this music must have been going at that time too. Yeah, you know, scene wise, um, they well, seemed like they were the a years. crazy band. If he if he's talking about knocking out hecklers. At shows, and then he talks about how this band was nuts. They must have been really nuts. <laughs> there's a there's a neat performance uh, video when you look them up, uh, and it's decent as well. I couldn't tell though um, if he's playing. I think I may have found it on on just on YouTube in general. But there's one where I can't tell if he's playing drums because I, I don't know. Was he always the drummer of this band? No, or I think like- I think it's just in the last lineup, maybe or yeah, one of the lineups. So I don't know if the live performance I saw, which looked decent, I don't. Couldn't tell if it was him or not. I don't believe it is, but it might be. Um, but anyway, yeah, very cool. I like that. Uh, I prefer the exposure and the uh, Dream Boy stuff, but the uh, that was also interesting. You should check um, out the Anhausen, which was the one that he tells that crazy story about dressing like a priest for the recording session. <laughs> that was amazing. That, that, amazing. There, he had a couple stories there, which I'm sure we'll touch on at later points, but that one was like, yeah, out of this world. This this record looks amazing, too. Yeah, I didn't check this out. It's on All Human this, League's label, too. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I remember the interview you talking about this, but I didn't check this out yet. Cool. I don't, uh, yeah. I'm guessing so you don't have this either, or you do? No, I don't, no. Well, now we know. Who knew Craig Ferguson was like, would be the sought-after record guy? Like, this is wild. I, I think that's the thing, is like, he... He, to me, like, even though I knew this stuff, it's, like, the most surprising. You know? Well, yeah, it's just so crazy. Like, even, uh, <laughs> is this a, oh, this is a comedy one he released. Okay. There's a Polydor comedy uh, single, it looks like, sort of, maybe musical comedy. Maybe. Like, he did talk about how that was, like, kind of, like, birthed out of, that's what I love is, like, it's very similar to David Cross in this episode where he, you know, it, it, it's like comedy and music. It, it's a hundred percent. It's inseparable. Um, like he he started with Peter Capaldi doing bits in between bands. Yeah, which uh, yeah, totally. That's very similar, to, and it's actually similar to uh, what was it? Uh, Fred Armisen did that too with the band, whatever the fake interviews and stuff. Right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like it is. You know, I think that's uh, you know, it kind of I guess part impacts their comedy in a big way to this day well i think why it's perhaps why they when they start off at least it seems is because they're not doing something that is like um not out of their wheelhouse or something Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like they're they're perfectly comfortable in the community in which they're working or however you want to say that yeah so but yeah these bands are (laughs) really good i would not have thought that they would have been as good as they are i agree no i I think that this thing is they're they're shockingly good as bands (laughs) Yeah, exposure is great. That Dream Boys single is great, um, but the yeah, it's nuts. So he there's doesn't play. Be, I wonder if there's Dream Boys recordings with him playing the drums. Oh yeah, I would imagine. You'd think even like bootlegs or something. I don't know. Like that's the thing is like they're really obscure. Like there's Kilt by Death is like kind of the the go to Scottish punk compilation, right? Like you can find it online. I don't. Th- I don't think it was ever released physically, or maybe it was as a CD. Um, but it's it's got like everything, right? Like it's got a lot of the bands you mentioned, huh. but none of the bands he was in are on it. Oh, pardon me. 
It's funny here, I'm just noticing like totally random thought here, but the St. Vitus Records put out that is the record label for that Dream Boy 7-inch, which is funny, speaking oh, of what someone wrote in funny. earlier about the band. Yeah. No, there's, but it's like, if you look at this comp, like it's, it's so weird how none of his bands are on it. You know? I wonder why, like, you know, do, do you think it just overlooked or they just weren't a part of that, whatever the scene people wanted know, to represent? That, that? Well, that's the thing is like, this comp is like, you know, they're definitely harder sounding than like 35 millimeter dreams and stuff, right? Like, it's not like, I don't know. I think they're just obscure. Huh, cool. Truly, truly obscure bands. But the A side, especially of that Dream Boy 7 inch, is excellent. Oh, Exposure's here. Oh, Exposure is cool. Uh, but just not Dream Boys. Huh. But yeah, that Dream Boys, like that Bella Lugosi's birthday, is excellent, that A side. Yeah. yeah. I would love to hear once again, though, if there's anyone, anyone has bootlegs, as Chris mentioned, with Craig Ferguson playing drums. I want to hear his hard style drumming. <laughs> and, and technical proficient drumming with those with those songs i think it would really have elevated them <laughs> totally what uh do you want to diverge on another point here well yeah you brought up fred armison former guest of the show friend of the show true. um misfit super fan and, <laughs> true. which begs the question what is it about punk drummers and comedy ah yes um because we have Craig Ferguson, Fred Armisen, John Worcester, Jonah Ray, Todd Berry, apparently. <laughs> I did not know that played, one. Okay. Play drums and like, yeah, if you look, look, this is, this is fun. Are you at the resource? Do you have the resource pulled up? I got up? it up. Of course. Yeah. Todd Berry, plug it in. <laughs> okay. So you're talking, he was in like, it wasn't just like, like a, uh, um, whatever. Like he was legit in in a band before this or during or yeah, like before, before. The only things I'm finding here are just his own stuff. Yeah, like the comedy stuff. If you go to like credits, I think is how I found it all. Oh, okay, what am I looking at? Instruments and performance. Yeah, the chant. Yeah, the chant. That's his band. Yeah, Three sheets to the wind. The LP Safety Net Records from '85. Yeah. So that would be probably like college rock punk stuff, I would imagine. No, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's a funny looking cover. I wonder what this sounds like. I know that's what described I'm as classic rock. I'm worried that perhaps someone has miscategorized this or like aligned it with. Oh, there's a song on here you can listen to as well. Have you clicked on the song? I have not. I don't want to get sidetracked from this. I can't hear it right now, anyway. But um, I can't even find it. What, 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 Todd Berry, right? Yeah. How come I can't find it right now? You look under Todd Berry, then Instruments Performance. What number is he under there? Uh, it's just the first one. There's no, yeah, it's just Todd Berry. Yeah, it's a no, but they, well, it says in groups the chant, but I don't know if it, unless, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like this might be one of these weird, uh, like some guy named Todd Berry also, but who knows? No, no, I think this is him. Someone wrote, someone told me this. Oh, okay. Um, who was I talking to? Oh, my cousin, Garland, who's like a comedy. Oh, there, there, there's Todd Berry. Yeah. The thing I love here, drums, vocals, and triangle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what, Chris? I'm going to do a live, I'm going to do a live listen to this thing. <laughs> do it. <laughs> you can describe to us. <laughs> yeah. He only played on the one chant record though, eh? Well, yeah, the, there's only one that comes up under him, but 
the uh, that's right. There's two here. He's not on two car mirage from '89. This is definitely because they're doing a Nightcrawler's cover. There's a band photo here, and ooh, is that that might be him? This is fucking sick, Chris. Is it? Yeah, it's sick. The cover's really weird. It doesn't look like it would be great. <laughs> it reminds me of um, like kind of like uh, New Zealand stuff. Okay, it does have that kind of cover in my mind. Yeah, like that's uh, like I would say it's not as good as the bats because that shit is godly. Yeah, but I would say it's like it's kind of like maybe approaching that. Huh. So yeah, I'm going to give if this is. Todd Barry, which you know we're 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 gonna say it is potentially. I'm gonna say this is pretty good. I'm gonna give Todd Barry also <laughs> in this category. <laughs> there you go. You've got. And if we expand list. it, if we expand it to rhythm sections, then uh, we have to also <laughs> include Eric Wareheim. Yeah, I, I, there's got to be other drummers that that are in comedy or whatever. Belushi. Yeah. Okay. Um, Belushi played drums for the Dead Boys. That is so crazy. Yeah, when Johnny Blitz was in hospital and uh, a couple for a couple shows, and uh, you know, also uh, you know, comic comic genius. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I like it's 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 nuts. It's a weird. How is this happening, Chris? How is it possible? <laughs> uh, my theory on it when you were talking about the interview was that. Uh, comedy involves timing and drummers have that or they should. Yep. And perhaps there's a link there was my sort of very like uninteresting take on that. But I don't know. Like it's, yeah, you're, it's, it is bizarre. It's bizarre that the specific people that you brought up, namely like one of the past show guests and perhaps future show guests, um, yeah, those people kind of speak to a different sensibility. Armisen's a real interesting one for me because for me, he's got more of like the something in league with uh, Craig Ferguson where it's like almost like you don't understand why he's not just drumming in a band all the time or something. Yeah, yeah. No, well, Fred Armisen, I guess, and and I guess Eric uh, Wareheim was, you know, he's in a lot of bands like Elements of Need, Introspect, yeah. and stuff like that. And I guess he still uses his music skills, but it's funny when you see someone who doesn't use it at all. Yes. Yeah, totally. Like Craig Ferguson but, doesn't, you know, like short of playing for himself, you know, like, you know, there's that one promo clip of him, I guess, playing drums on the show, but you don't really see him as a drummer, but he's, well, it's true. Yeah. He's, he was like, it, like he was a prodigy from the sounds of it. Like he's drumming for Nico by the time he's 18 years old. <laughs> yes. We want to get another point. That story is amazing, by the that way. It's fucking incredible. He went into <laughs> a little bit more uh, afterwards. He, like we hung out for another little bit, just chatting and telling other crazy stories. But like, yeah, like she was like not allowed to come to the club that he worked at. And he had to tell her, like, you can't come in here. Uh, <laughs> what was the th- what was it because she wasn't cool enough or something was no the- i think she had like you know party too hard there oh i see allegedly i, I thought it was like an exclusive thing and i just like no. the idea that that nico was excluded from a, like a no, that's Steve, the robots club is like that's you know worthy of a whole discussion itself like it's like one of those really interesting places where you had have like new york hardcore people 
kind of intermingling with early New York rap people intermingling with artists and stuff. Like he was telling after the show, he's like, yeah, there's this like little kid that used to hang out with us all the time and used to like smoke cigarettes. He was really quiet. And then, you know, years later that's Basquiat. Like that's why I'm like, Oh shit. That's that kid. That's crazy. He's like, he played in this band called gray back then and stuff. And it's like, and he's talking about Vincent Gallo being running around back then and stuff. And like, yeah, they were both in gray. Yeah. And just like, you know, like, it's just like, Oh yeah, this guy, it's like, it's weird that he was like, had this whole other really cool life in music. And then this, you know, like with kind of topped off by this New York experience before his life really gets started. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> like even just being around for that New York part is insane. Yeah. But like, this whole Scottish, like early portion is wild as well. I don't know. I'm very envious of people who seem to have these kind of like very, uh, I don't know endlessly full lives of like these crazy being placed at the right time, like various points. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. But so once again, like back to the comedy thing in drummers, yeah. it's, it's like, you know, it, it makes me realize that Jonah from fucked up is the funniest member of fucked up by, <laughs> by nature. But also like when you think about it, he is probably the funniest member of fucked up. Like when you talk to him one-on-one he, and he's being funny. Um, I definitely think Jonah's funny. I haven't having to think. Like, don't you think he's got like a comics personality? Like, if he applied himself to comedy, he yeah, could do I, it. You have, a, yeah, you have a point there. He's great at impressions too. Yeah, that's what um, I mean. Like, he's got like that Saturday Night Live kind of comedy, which, like, you know, isn't always. You know, I maybe go to sometimes a different type of comedy, but <laughs> yeah, but like, I think he, like, I don't know, it's just something about that position, or maybe it's like it forges you into that type of person. Yeah, I think uh, I think Jonah is more in keeping with the people that we we're discussing. So, and I mean that as but a like Jonah is yeah, exactly. And Jonah's like this; these people too. Like you couldn't see Jonah hamming it up on stage. Like I wouldn't picture Jonah, you know, like getting on the mic and chatting with the audience in the same way that like <laughs> you know both Fred Armisen and um, and Craig Ferguson stated that there's like no way they would ham it up when they're behind the kit. Yeah, true. They all took it very seriously. Yeah. I think, though, what I'm curious about Craig Ferguson on this nerdy angle here is Fred and Fred and Jonah can play multiple instruments. I'm curious if Craig Ferguson is like also, also that guy. Oh, yeah. I don't know if he would be because he seems like he stopped playing pretty early on, whereas I think yeah. Fred went a lot deeper with it, right? Yeah. Either way, it's an interesting theory. I suppose that if anybody out there in the listening land – has any other punk uh, comedic drummer related connections they can send us those. Well, it's also like drummers being the low key kind of geniuses in, in punk bands, you know, like then we can also put in uh Woj from Cole world, and, <laughs> yep. you know, like all the other bands that are masterminded by the drummer. That's true. There's, yeah. There's, I'm sure there's a good number actually. Yeah. It's 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 funny when you think about like the the power of the drummer in the punk band. It's true when it when they're when they're on they're on, especially when like you're saying when it's like a band leader kind of thing. Yeah, I find those bands tend to be very strong outfits, especially live. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's from I don't know. Yeah, I like your theory here though. The idea of the comedic drummer, the secret comedic drummer. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anyone else, but I'm sure there are ones that we're not remembering. Right yeah, now. we're just it's late. We're it's just late. kind of. 
But uh, I also thought it was funny, randomly speaking of drummers in relation to this topic, that he was not the biggest Keith Moon fan. Yeah, but then when you hear his stuff, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because you you don't play at all like that. Yes. I just still think it's like it's almost bizarre because I rarely hear anybody kind of express that. Another actual thing I'm with him on totally where he was talking about picking apart bands where you might not like the band, but you like the members of the band. So you you sort of put up with the music like he cites the Queen thing. Yeah. Talking about uh, another one, which is I think is an excellent uh, one that he noted was Ginger Baker, who Mm -hmm. is phenomenal. But yeah, like not I'm not a huge fan of most Ginger Baker's like groups or anything. But uh yeah, he was an incredible beast as a drummer. Um so yeah, I, I like that idea too, and I'm totally with him on that that idea. Although I do I don't dislike Queen as much as I think he does. No, I don't think I yeah. dislike him as much as but it was just funny because I thought he was going to be like, No, they're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're crap. I the love thing that is he he's like still that. punk. Like there's nothing he like you know, it's not like he changed his opinion on it. Like, he talks about begrudgingly having to admit that he likes Led Zeppelin now. Yeah. Like, I bet he still great. listens to just, like, the same shit. It's true. That Although that is, like, you know, arguably very not punk. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Like, but, yeah. Didn't, um, didn't like, uh, did, you know, I, I wonder if he still listens to Johnny and the Self-Abusers. Yeah, that's, oh. it's it, It's, it's, it's. When people like this are this cool, it's sort of, uh, it's like, it's great. And then simultaneously, I'm like, oh, how is this person this cool? It's not fair. Yeah, like, I, I guess it's like, that's like, you know, the whole reason behind this show was like the 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 idea that there's just like this weird energy around this music. And like, there's this weird kind of like push of people involved in it to do cool things, you know, like be it like someone like Antoine who, you know, was talking about seeing hard skin today on Twitter. And, you know, at the same time is kind of like legitimately making a huge dent in, in underground rap music right now and hit and stuff. And like, you know, the, but then also at the same time, you got Craig Ferguson coming out of the same scene. <laughs> True. Like, yeah, worlds apart different. and years later, but still it's like kind of, kind of amazing. Well, I think one thing that you've, done an effective job at, at illustrating on the show is that it's sort of, uh, and I think we even discussed this specific thing in, in, in other episodes, but you're right in the sense that this influenced a certain generation of people and the generations that followed. And therefore, uh, to a degree it's, uh, um, it could be credited for building the contemporary, whatever, uh, media landscape or entertainment world in certain respects as we know it. Uh, in the way that it exists currently, if if it hadn't come from that, it wouldn't be what it is today. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. I, agree. I agree. Anyway, um, should we get on to? Uh, well, I guess whose point now is it? <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> I went on for a it's long. Mine, time. sure. Um, I will do. Oh boy, this is a good amount here. Uh, I would just, we might as well do it because it's just such a crazy story. But that Hawkwind at age 13 is wild. Yeah. <laughs> like that he basically was like and again this speaks to the punk rock it's great that he was like saying, he was remembers us being pretty bored yeah which uh sounds insane in 2016 because people would probably kill to see that era of hawkwind but um but yeah like from a punk standpoint as cool as hawkwind are like i think that's pretty pretty uh well summarized 
because they they definitely are epic in the way that maybe punks will not take to. <laughs> yeah, like I love the idea that also waiting for punk. Like there was just nothing that really connected with them till punk happened. Yeah, that's a good one too. I think that that gener the generation that he is from who have that kind of sensibility are, are like when they talk about that is it's just such a cool um yeah, it's it's bang on. I think you're saying it exactly right. Like waiting for punk, like just waiting for something to hit like that. And then you find it and it's just like, you know, you're, you're home or whatever. Yeah, like I really – and I guess I relate to it too because I kind of – I never re- – like there was no music I really felt like was my music till I got into, you know, punk rock and when yeah, later hardcore. I think I felt it because I got into metal at a very young age and I think I felt that there. But what I would say is um, – and not similarly because it's – I couldn't imagine, you know – <laughs> none of the things that I kind of liked as a, as a youth existing and waiting for it to like exist. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. I would say that there was a time when we were young where I don't think most people, um, I don't know what the word would be like, like our peers by and large, from my experience at least uh, were not interested in things like this by and large. So what I think I was most um anticipating with age was finding more like-minded people that that sort of did get this or could hit me to things like this and i eventually found that and whatever but um so the only comparable experience i have is just like being stuck in the you know what people would equate to normally like the square world and just being unfulfilled and then finding it you know this thing you enjoy in whatever capacity and then therefore you're sort of reborn or something but um yeah, it's just it's it's weird. I can't imagine actually living through the idea of like punk doesn't exist yet, and then it just happens one day. You're like, what is this? Like that just seems crazy to me. Like I couldn't imagine. Like it just. I wish I could have a time machine to to go back to see that change, like in real time. Yeah, or like having that. You know, like I've been hearing about this music. I've got one of these records. Finally, you got to come over and listen to it. Yeah, it was exactly that. Yeah. And I think it's funny when he talks about sort of the fashion aspect of it too. Um, but also like he, I don't know, his, perhaps because he's a drummer and a musician by nature, but like it's his, I just think his observations about the music are very spot on. Like even when he was talking about non-punk related things, like I said, like picking the members of bands, he's just like, he's right on point with it. I don't know. I, I was just very, uh, whatever the word yeah, is. Yeah, like punk as an anti-fashion comes so late. Yes. You know, like it really, it, it's all about dress code and like dressing up and, and, you know, like it, it's funny cause I remember reading an interview with, I think it was someone in minor threat. Um, and they were talking about like, why it's like, why we wear combat boots? Like we wore vans, like it was, you know, they were easier to move around in and like, we didn't want to wear leather jackets cause they're like heavy, you know? And it's like, Oh yeah. Like, I guess there was like, that's where the functional aspect of the fashion comes in. Cause like, even if you look at the Ramones, like everyone's dressed up or, uh, Richard Hell, they're all dressed up or Blondie. They're all dressed up. Well, I think you're not the talking heads though. (laughs) True. Well, there's always exceptions, but I think though you're kind of hitting on like that sort of, uh, you know, in a in a way that Meyer Threat thing at least is almost a reaction to aspects of that first wave or whatever you want to say. You know, even the bad brains when they first come out, they're all wearing suits, right? <laughs> True, which is a, one of the most interesting shifts of a band to me. Um, 
that choice of like, because they were playing, you know, fast music still. And it was just like a, such a peculiar choice to do that then. Yeah. Well, I, I, maybe they're, I think they were just trying to get in on that, how fashion tied in kind of new wave was. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I new just, wave kind of took all the fashion from punk and then the hardcore was left, was what was left over. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, I like that idea. I've never thought about it in those terms, but yeah, that, that is well said, I think. Yeah. Um, and that I also includes the, all the interesting stuff that fashion took away too when fashion left and, and left kind of hardcore a little more boring. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> that's another way of saying it. Yeah. But I think I've always viewed it as like that early wave of hardcore as being just sort of a pragmatic, uh, fashion statement rather than like a, uh, a more, um, contrived one or something. Not to say there's anything wrong with sort of the punk fashion prior. Cause I, I like plenty of that. But, um, when I think of those like first bands, like the American bands, at least, you know, I just think of like, yeah, like you're saying, like, like beat up vans or, you know, like trash combat boots and like, I don't know, like cut off t-shirts, like nothing too crazy. Nothing that anybody could realistically acquire in certain regard. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, it's also, I guess just in England in general, it's always a little more fashion conscious. Yes. I think that is another aspect that sort of is ignored here. And that's, I think when you, (laughs) the idea of, and now it seems a bit strange because I'm sure it's sort of more ubiquitous, but like that idea of like punk, like the punk uniform, like being young, like where I grew up, there was no, (laughs) there was no even ability to get any of that kind of thing. Like there was no shop to go to. And if you knew of one, it was certainly not in town or something. It would be like, you would have to travel significantly go. But, you know, a lot of that time it was just like getting cool band t-shirts was my sort of interest. But in terms of like what you're like that sort of like whatever, like sex shop or whatever you want to say. um, Yeah, that's a whole different animal to me in that country as opposed to like around here or anything. Yeah, like there were things like that in Toronto, you know, I guess like, but like they would be very much inspired by sex and certainly not, I guess, Vivian Westwood designing clothes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that's the other thing too, right? Like everyone just aped that idea yeah. and it just, you know, it is whatever. Yeah. I don't know. This yeah. Is where- England is very, but like, even like you look at like, you know, the quote unquote working class music, uh, uh that came out of punk, which is oi. It's yeah. like, it is, you know, probably more fashion conscience than any other, you know, than any other music genre. <laughs> I think it, I think it's, yeah, I think, uh, you're not wrong. No. Um, you gotta, think, there's like collar measurements that people worry about. <laughs> I think what it is though, is it's, it's, uh, I don't think historically it was something that was supposed well, to be as clever with fashion. as. Oh, it, I think it was. I definitely think it was like, I think, you know, the fact that it came out of mods and came out of suede heads, it was yeah. always a fashion thing, right? I'll give you that. But what I mean is like um, I think it kind of got shittier <laughs> to, as time went on. But then like it's sort of – I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's all uniform in some way. Yeah, like I think early on it was definitely – like I've got – have you ever seen that Nick Knight book about uh, about Oi and Skinheads? I don't I don't think I know the one you're speaking of, no. But it's I've like seen a fashion it. photo essay about it. It's pretty amazing but he goes through the entire history of different fashions for skinheads. Yeah. 
in it as well and in different hair lengths and like the changes that came in and stuff. So yeah, like I think, it, I think that's just maybe something in the UK, you know, like, like they have better taste in mainstream pop music generally. <laughs> yep. Perhaps they, they also generally have better taste in clothing for punks. <laughs> or a little more, or more, more taste in clothing or more concerned with it. Yeah, I don't know. I, there is something to that. I don't know how to categorize what you're saying, but yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with what, what you're bringing up. No, mm -hmm. but yeah, what, uh, what do we got after that? <laughs> uh, was that your point? I don't even remember anymore. Oh God, Chris. <laughs> um, let me we, see here. Wow. You got a lot here. So this Anna Housen. We, okay, we, so we've hit a lot of this stuff already. What are, one thing I wanted to talk about, though, because we talked about it a bit, and the mailbag mentioned it, but I wanted to know if you knew any more about that. Um, was it Doctor McKenzie or whatever it was called? The, the Shirley Manson, the pre garbage Yeah, band. they've got a bunch of records. Um, they're kind of more mid eighties. Okay, like, I think he must. That must have been when they. I can't see them playing when he was around there the first time. That must have been when he went back. In after after living in New York for a sec. Okay. Um, yeah, it's good. Goodbye, Mr. McKenzie is the band. Yeah. So, because I wasn't aware of that. I mean, it doesn't surprise me to know it, but I wasn't aware that she had been in anything prior to like garbage. That was the only thing I'd ever heard. Yeah, but, no, I definitely knew that. Like it was she that because that's where like you know like once again it wasn't like one of those mysteries. Like where did they find her from? Like I think they knew her from that, right? And like that was her involvement with these like group of American super alternative producers. Yes, exactly. Which is what's his face? That band is with uh, Butch Vig. Um, and but have I ever talked about them on the show? Garbage. No. Yeah, uh, they're like the, one of the coolest group of people I've ever met in my life. They changed my life in a major way. Meeting them as a kid, like definitely impacted the way that I interact with people that enjoy my band's music. What I don't remember. So no, I've never heard when of them. When I was like a little kid. Um, they were going to be at a CFMY, right? Like the edge yep. here, um, our local alternative music station. And they used to have like this really cool thing where you could go down and just meet the bands and see the bands play. Right. Yeah. And we were really into garbage because, uh, that song, the queers to the queer was uh, a big fan. We were big fans of it. The video was cool. And, uh, also because of the Nirvana connection, you know, my friend producing, uh, yeah, what, never mind, yeah, yeah, and then not like there, but also the other people also produced, like Duke, that guy produced, oh man, he produced stuff for U2. Oh, yeah, the Spooner, he was in Spooner with uh, Butch Vig, which was Butch Vig's like pre kind of punk band, new okay. wave band, the, the power pop band, um, back in the day, too. And, but he was also a big producer as well. There were like, there was like a lot of hype around them because it was like these three sort of huge music producers coming together with this, uh, kind of really cool, um, vocalist. And so we went down to CFMY and just met them and they were like the nicest people ever. They gave us free tickets to the show. They talked to us and we we're like 14 year old kids. Like they have no reason to be <laughs> cool to us whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and they were amazing. All of them were amazing to us and like cool. really friendly. And, uh, I think someone really big or potentially big who got bigger later on opened for them that night too. Maybe in the Danny Warhols. No, Danny Warhols opened for spiritualized. Someone opened for them that was like 
interesting, I guess. Um, but anyway, it's a great show, but they, yeah, put us on the guest list and gave us free tickets to the show. And we're just like some of the nicest people. Um, cool. All of them, all, every single member was really friendly and it, and it stayed with me to this day, how nice they were. You've um, had a lot of interesting experiences meeting people, musicians and whatnot, by the way. Certainly well, much more than me, and not just because of the show. I mean, even like a story like that, like when you were young, like me going to meet bands or something, or be like, you know, I never did much of that. I never had Jared Leto lead a parade <laughs> to the merch table where I was working, though, Chris. <laughs> oh, boy. You love throwing that one out there. That is true. I do. I did. Uh, yes. I love that story. I, would, I don't know what I would have done if, if Jordan Capilano was his name in that show. Yeah, yeah, in my so-called life, yeah. Yeah, if he had just, like, led a parade of people towards me, probably would have had a panic attack. <laughs> Goddamn panic attack, Chris. He was uh, he was an interesting uh, human being, yes. Um, but, yeah, no, I and I've actually kind of run into garbage since on tour and didn't ever talk to Butch a little bit, um, but never got a chance to really talk to the rest of the band and thank them for that. But I, I will, next time I see them, try and make a point of doing that. Cool. That'd be another good interview, one of them. Yeah, it'd be great to have all of them on, you know. Certainly the two members, uh, or the three members, I should say, that have punk bands. I don't know if Steven had a punk band. Steve Marker. Yeah. The So this, um, I thought this band would only have had like a single or something. They have a lot of stuff. They have a lot of stuff, yeah. They were yeah. like, they were pretty popular. Yeah, it seems. They were on Capitol and like, yeah, they were like, bigger group it seemed i mean there's a lot of releases here um so yeah i thought it would have just been like a single which is why i kind of brought it up and i'm realizing here it's like a big whole big group of of sorts but um four lps and a ton of singles from like the mid 80s to the mid 90s um but anyway yeah so and i the funny part about this though is that again and i see him in the photo here now but you can pick out the guy there's a band photo on the resource here um the, the exploited guy, you can tell right away. <laughs> but yeah, I never knew the, uh, I never knew of any of those connections. I think that's kind of cool. It, Shirley Manson has always struck me as someone who's very interesting, but yeah, she, um, and really I, cool. Like, it was, I, I don't know. She always comes off to me as someone who like, you know, is really cares. Yeah. And I, I, she's a great interview from things I've heard over, over the years, but, uh, she would be a good one. I'd like you to do eventually if you can. Oh my God. Yeah. I'd love think, to run the show. I think that would be a uh, lucrative for the, uh, the weird punk tidbits. But, um, but yeah, like a group like this makes me think that there's a whole other world here that I'm not aware of. <laughs> well, there certainly is, but more so, uh, than I even could imagine. Yeah. Like that's the thing about this, you know, like it, it is just keeps like, it's an onion. You keep finding new layers. <laughs> That's true. You do, and you've been you've been really doing it lately. Um, well, there's been a yeah, it's been a fun couple uh, couple of weeks. I think it's gonna get it's gonna get a little more fun too. Uh, <laughs> cool. Whoa, whoa, this guy, yo, this guy, Stephen Marker, even he produced all the Killdozer records, like starting with the first one. Is a member of Garbage? You're saying? Yeah. Oh wow! Didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, he produced. Uh, in, uh, yeah. The first one. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> garbage. We need to get someone. We need to get all the members of garbage on the show. There you go. <laughs> At some point. Nice. Uh, so, uh, who's next? I think that was my point. I think. 
But yeah, you take. That was your point. Okay, I guess my and we can kind of go to the finishing moves of this uh, podcast. I think because I think we got stuff right. I think we hit everything except for we got to talk about the Nico tour, and we got to talk about. uh, I guess we'll talk about the Nico tour. I got two more points, but okay, let's talk about the Nico tour first. Just go, yeah, yeah. What what about it? Well, I just think it's like pretty awesome that he did that tour, but I also think you know the that quote is one of my favorite quotes <laughs> ever. I agree. And I'm also with him. Like I, I, the idea that she did not mean that as a compliment is super funny. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's almost the highest compliment you can be paid. Yeah, exactly. And also the fact that, you know, he's right. <laughs> like it's true. the last one left. It is true. And that is super. I always think of that sort of stuff. Um, Especially when you like, you know, in the news, you'll always hear of artists passing or whatever. And yeah, like the ones that remain. <laughs> yeah. Those are some either like that. Uh, yeah. He's one I'm, I'm just always. Yeah. I just can't believe that he's still <laughs> he's still going. Yeah. Like not to curse him. No. <laughs> no. Yes. But, but oh, my Please. gosh, that is it is. It's nuts to think that even back then, Nico thought he was going to be dead soon. And, you know, poor Nico. <laughs> yes yeah that's true but that's you know there's always those scenarios where it's like the people you don't expect are the ones right so like i mean the, the what was it keith richards obviously is one people think of or yeah but iggy pop it's just funny the idea too that he he could be of you know i don't know according to nico he was comparative to him in, in sort of behavior and uh yeah he's he's uh craig ferguson's going along just fine too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i don't know i but yeah i thought that that just that um i think that's just funny i think it's just funny even like placing him in a scenario as being the drummer for nico i think it's just so peculiar yeah and amazing and knowing like the way he is i can't envision him being like in his super party mode and how like kind of like crazy that would have been yeah nico would have been by that point you know old or and probably just like so over the fact that there's this 18 year old punk kid running amok. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's all I kind of want to hit on that quote. But uh, do you have another point, or do you want me to go to the next point? Well, I mean, I, if assuming this is your next point or not, but the one I wanted to address was a previous guest comes up again, which is your Lars. Uh, yeah, that, granted. Exactly that my point? point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go into it then. Yeah. There you go. You go into it. You. You. It's your point. No, it's just we've spoken about this before, and uh, your show uh, has given me a greater uh, appreciation of this individual, certainly. But uh, hearing Craig Ferguson have a story is kind of wild, too. Uh, yeah, like the uh, – I, I can't remember how you've described him in a conversation before, but it's like he's like this uh, – I don't know. what the Guru is not the appropriate word. Yeah, but, like, uh, uh, like therapist, I think, for these people, like almost yes. like, like a, a punk rock – priest of sorts exactly so... the savage souls of these human beings yes exactly and it's just so like it's peculiar to me because craig ferguson has to be i don't know how how old is senior but certainly older than lars um and the idea that Lars almost has this like wisdom <laughs> that craig ferguson doesn't that like he's like been like uh what's the word uh, profoundly affected by is uh, it's just well, amusing like, to me. Yeah, and like Lars probably out of 
anyone, you know, has definitely worn the, the punk on his sleeve, the, the proudest and the longest of anyone I've had on the show. I would, I don't know, like, yeah, I don't know. Like I would say definitely, you know, like for waving capital P punk rock banner, like it's, I don't know, like it's hard to think of someone who's been more like that. Yeah, that's true. He's, he's definitely, you always can envision what he looks like. (laughs) Yeah. So certainly he's had to probably take a ton of shit from people over the years. Yeah. And I guess he must be just like, so Zen now. (laughs) Which is such a strange thought, but yeah, I mean, his interview is chill with you. So I could see that. Yeah. Like him and CM Punk, you know, he does the same thing for CM Punk. CM Punk talks about in the documentary. Um, there's also, I think that like one of the good Charlotte records has like an essay by one of the guys from good Charlotte about how Lars sat him down one day and told him like, you got to chill out <laughs> and stuff. It's like, it's, it's like, man, this guy is really, you know, that's three people. It's true. And different and such vastly different walks of life too, yeah. which is kind of interesting. So it makes me wonder like all the other people that, that, yeah, that we don't have know about. These, yeah. I'm curious. You don't have one of those yet, do you? With Lars? Yeah. No, I haven't had a crisis of faith in, in, in punk. I think I met him too late. I maybe would have ha- had that moment with him earlier on. I feel like it's like, the, it may it, not that you'll have a crisis of faith, but like it's just like some kind of profound Lars moment is in your future or something like and in this regard. I think the podcast was a pretty profound Lars moment for me. Like I, that was. whole thing was like, uh, it all kind of like, you know, like they're a band that I don't really, I don't think I give them enough credit for how much of a role they played in my life. I think you do now. I think you yeah, I do definitely. Been, I think you may have not been, uh, whatever, not been conscious of the degree at a certain point in time. Or, yeah. Like they were, I would say even more than like offspring or green day, they were like the band that really brought me into like, once again, that capital P punk rock. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so arguably in some regard we Lars is responsible or we're the Damien that the world knows today is indebted somewhat to Lars at some some yep. blame Lars. <laughs> but uh but yeah, I thought that story is very amusing. I think that um I like hearing those kind of stories too because it just makes me think like this person who you know, it's not that I I never had any like feeling in terms of like what this person was like as a, a you know in their day to day life, but I didn't think of like I, I wouldn't have thought of anyone in Rancid as like profoundly wise, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and making me reevaluate my thought on that all of a sudden. Well, like yeah, they're definitely you know like I, God, is there like a, another band that's done what they've like kept on? Maybe no effects. Um, maybe tragedy is going to be like for that era. Like I'm trying to think of bands that have like kept on the path they are on the whole way. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's few. Rancid's been on Epitaph and you know, like I guess they, they were on major labels for a second, but I think that was more licensing deals than they actually signed directly to a major label. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not positive the specifics of all that, but yeah, they've definitely like been the band they are for whatever ages now. Ages, yeah. But yeah, um, and a lot. Well, is that it, Chris? I think that's a good point to go out on. I don't know, unless you got something else. I think that's good. I think that's good for today. Um, if you want to get in touch with myself, uh, you can uh, hit me up on various forms of social media at Leffer Damien. 
But if you want to support this show, the best thing and the most helpful thing you can do is go on to iTunes, if you use iTunes, and subscribe to this show and write a review and rate it if you enjoy it. Because that somehow makes this show heard by more people. I don't understand <laughs> really how, Chris. I guess it puts you on the the noteworthy and it bumps you up in the ratings, which makes people check it out. Ah. Uh-huh. I don't know. I just, just copy this shit from other podcasts. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can also, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yes, uh, that's it. That's it. Um, Chris, what do you have? Anything? No, I got nothing. Okay. Well, you also, you need to check out, uh, turn it a punk dot Uh, turn a punk, uh, or sorry, facebook.com slash turned out a punk. We'll be posting the videos up here for Craig Ferguson's music and stuff like that. We'll be posting a lot of stuff up there that relates to the show or any stuff, sorry, that relates to the show will be posted up on there. And, uh, do, 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 um, oh yeah. How do they get in touch with us here? Turn out a punk footnotes at gmail.com. Excellent. And that is it this week on the show. Jeff Rowley. Nice. Um, it'll be, yep. We'll get to talk about uh, a lot of stuff, hopefully, coming out of that show. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be a good one. Cool, man. All right, Chris. Thanks, buddy. No worries. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. <laughs>